coming. Our enemy doesn't tire. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Game of Thrones episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And it's back, baby. How exciting is it to say Game of Thrones review? Although for the last season ever. I know. I was so excited hearing our opening song for Game of Thrones, and then at the same time, like, upset because this will be the last time we hear that. Well, that means we have to work this season for all it's worth. And as per usual, we're going to start off with this prepper episode. Talk about where we left off last season. It's been a while since season seven. I'm sure nobody forgot the major moments, but we'll do a brush up. It's been a while, but at the same time, it's earlier than expected is pretty cool. Thankfully, yes. I mean, unfortunately, shorter than we probably would want for a season, but we've known that for a while that this would only be six episodes. We're going to talk about all that as well, what we can expect, what we know so far about season eight, and then we'll traverse into the trailer breakdown and our theories and predictions for the season. That means a lot of this information may contain spoilers. We are taking from what is out there right now, what we've heard. Some of it is just going to be crazy speculation on Jason and my part that may not come true. But there are things, if you don't want that ruined, that we have to give you that spoiler warning right at the top. I will tell you, it's not information like, we know such and such dies or anything like that. Nothing crazy. No, it's like who maybe is going to write this episode and when maybe is this plot point going to take part in the season. Some people don't mind that. Some people don't want to know anything. Why you'd be listening to this podcast, I have no idea. If you are not afraid of just a little, things that you would be seeing out there in the Game of Thrones news right now, we won't go any further than that. I call them tickles, not spoilers. (laughs) Now, to get you prepared for the CKC season, after the first episode airs, we will be giving you an instant coffee episode that night. But then the following weeks because we have regular boring jobs, we're not going to be able to stay up that late to deliver two podcasts every week. So the first week you will get two episodes, and then the following weeks you'll get one big episode. Weeks two through five. However, for the finale, we also might do an instant if we're able to. And that episode will come out two or three days after the airing of Game of Thrones. Well, Jason, without further ado, let's talk about it. Let's get into where we left off with season seven, starting off with King's Landing. Although the War of the Five Kings is long-ended, political strife continues as control of the Iron Throne is contested. Despite having proven herself a bad leader, Cersei's determined to remain on that throne. When Euron Greyjoy came to King's Landing and proposed marriage to Cersei in exchange for his Iron Fleet, she declined, so he promised to return with a gift to prove his loyalty. Bringing her Alaria and Tyene, she agreed to marry him after the war was won. Cersei then gave Tyene the same poison used to kill her daughter, Myrcella, and forced Ilaria to watch her death. She is such a kind woman, isn't she? (laughs) Meanwhile, when the Unsullied were attacking Casterly Rock and finding it abandoned, Cersei had ordered Jaime to lead the Lannister forces to sack Highgarden in order to repay the Crown's debts to the Iron Bank of Braavos. We were wondering all season how they were going to get out of that one. And there, Lady Olena was given a quick death by poison, but not before she confessed to Jaime that she was the one who had poisoned Joffrey. What an epic scene. To the end, Lady Olena was badass. Yeah, I think we named her MVP for that episode. We must have. Right? Actually, MVB, Most Valuable Bannerman, I'm looking it up right now. And we did, in fact, 
Give it to her for episode three, The Queen's Justice. Lady Olena won by 60% on the poll. If you have to go out in this world, she got one of the best exits off scene, I would say. Back to the story, frustrated at her losses, Danny ambushed the combined Lannister and Tarly forces with her Dothraki horde. And although she won the battle, she burned the wagons of grain they needed to feed the people. And when the Tarleys refused to bend the knee to a foreign invader, she executed them. Tyrion and Varys were alarmed, remembering her father's actions. In fact, I think we were all a little scared <laughs> at that point in time that Danny could go Mad Queen. The Northern Contingent made their way to King's Landing and presented the white that they had captured. We'll get back to that in a second. They presented it to Cersei. When Jon refused Cersei's demand to remain neutral in the war, saying he had already pledged himself to Danny, she left the negotiation. Tyrion went to meet with her to persuade her to ally with their forces, and she revealed to him she was pregnant. Maybe, we think. <laughs> Although she promised a military alliance, she later told Jaime it was all a lie. She intended to use the Golden Company to secure her hold on Westeros. At this last straw, Jaime finally left, riding north to, quote, fight for the living. I think in the end we will end up remembering Jaime in a positive note. I've been hoping for this, the start of his redemption arc for yeah. a long time. And we have to remember, Game of Thrones, there's no good and bad guy. Everyone's gray. Except for John. I mean, he's just good. Yeah, and I think maybe Cersei's mostly just bad. Yeah, that's true. Mostly. <laughs> other than the fact that she loves her kids, loved her kids. But with her kids all <laughs> loved her kids. with her kids all gone, I mean, and now Jamie gone, what is left for Cersei to hold on to that's good in this world? And she has no more shame. Yeah. So she's a dangerous one. We're going to talk later on about where we see these characters going, who we think is going to live and die in this Our Game of Thrones season. I'll always remember the face Cersei gave when the white ran after her. So the hound opened the box. Nothing happened at first. Then he kicks the box over and out comes this white and just books it towards Cersei. Mm -hmm. And the look on her face, I was like, yes! It's the last minute, the chain's holding it back. Well, that brings up another point. We thought we would see Clegane Bowl, as did everybody, in that meeting between the Mountain and the Hound. So maybe that's yet to come. But all of those theories later on. First, let's come back and talk about what happened at Winterfell, because there was a lot of action there last season. First, at the Twins, Arya disguised herself as Walder Frey and poisoned the remaining lords before heading back to Winterfell. A lot of wins last season. And what I mean by that is oftentimes we feel like we're losing. This season, uh, I think it's going to be one big loss yeah, for us. It was the calm before the storm, if you can call it that. It wasn't a quiet season, but we kind of came out on top in most regards. This was definitely a moment we all cheered for. Yeah. Arya feeding Walder some fray pie. Where are my damn moron sons? Black Walder and Lothar promised to be here by midday. They're here, my lord. Well, what are they doing? Trimming their cunt hairs? Tell them to come here, now. But they're already here, my lord. My name is Arya Stark. I want you to know that. The last thing you're ever going to see is a Stark smiling down at you as you die. And then going back to her home, a huge reunion that's been a long time coming, where her brother Bran had also returned. However, we spent the next good part of the season watching as Littlefinger seemingly sowed dissent between Arya and Sansa, leading up to a trial. This had us very confused. Back and forth on what was going on between the relationship with the sisters were still a little rocky on the journey to get there. But by the end, we find out this was a plan of theirs the whole time to finally put Littlefinger in his place. And to his surprise, on the trial day, he was the one accused of murder, treason and betrayal and executed by Arya. While this was happening, Sam discovered Jorah in a cell at the Citadel and used a forbidden treatment to heal his grayscale. He stole some of their books and left with Gilly and Little Sam, making their way to Winterfell to speak with Bran. They discussed Jon's parentage, realizing Jon was actually a Targaryen, meant to be named Aegon, and thus the legitimate heir to the Iron Throne, as Rhaegar and Lyanna had married in secret. We have yet to see anyone else finding out about this and what the repercussions are going to be that Jon is in fact a secret Targaryen, as we had suspected for a long time. Will that change anything? We kind of doubted it. Well, in this game of Thrones, that game, I'm assuming, is going to be put aside for a while. I mean, we already know that the Queen of Dragons is willing to put that aside. 
while we face these whites. I'm really curious to see in these six episodes, one, will any of our heroes be left to take the throne? And two, if that's the case, if the war with the whites ends before the end of the entire show Mm -hmm. and it not just fading to black after that. Which we think the war will end with enough time for the season to wrap up where the kingdom's going to be I at. I hope so, yeah. Then, and only then, and if he's alive, will this actually come into play? Yeah, with the shape of the world and how it could potentially be, I don't see us having enough time for political questions like that. I mean, Cersei's still playing that game, but how much longer can that really go on once the showdown starts? What if they show the throne really close up after everything? And it starts, the camera starts backing up, backing up. And then you see from the right side, a figure start coming in to sit on the throne. And it's a white. It's the Night King. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people had wondered what was going to happen to that throne, thinking maybe a great ending would be for it to be dissembled somehow, or let's say burned through dragon fire. An actual symbology of the throne being eliminated oh. to start a whole new world. That's the plus side of it. The negative side, we got in some of those foreshadowings, let's say in Danny's dreams or her prophecies, where she's walking into the throne room and it's snowing and it's dark out. And I could see that being the beginning of a scene where the Night King walks in, unfortunately. Oof. Well, speaking of, let's talk about the wall. First, though, John and Danny discovered a cave on Dragonstone with paintings depicting the first men and the children of the forest joining forces against the undead. And it was filled with dragon glass. They took some. John made friends with the dragons. <laughs> that was exciting. And then they returned it to Winterfell to fill the others in on their plan. First, they needed to prove the existence of the undead to Cersei, so John led a raiding party north of the Wall to capture a white and bring it south. While they did manage to get one, the group was overtaken by the White Walker army. Thoros froze to death during the standoff, while Gendry went for help. In the ensuing battle, the Night King killed Viserion with an ice spear. Danny was able to rescue the party on Drogon. All except for John. When all seemed lost, though, Uncle Benjen intervened and sacrificed himself so John could get away. He barely made it back to the wall where he was reunited with Danny. Another Game of Thrones epic scene. That White Walker battle was just insane from start to finish. If that's what we're in store for this season, (laughs) I can't wait. I mean, yes, gut-wrenching when they took down Viserion, right? But for a show to make us feel that about a dragon... It's pretty incredible. That feeling when your stomach sinks. I'm going to be a broken record this season. We're going to feel that so many times. <sighs> yeah. And what's amazing thinking back, I remember at the time when John is stranded there and Danny's flying away with everyone else on the dragon, thinking to myself, well, they killed him and brought him back to life very recently. There's no way he can die again here. He has to make it through at least to the end. And yet... I still had that anxiety, that fear. Oh my goodness, is this going to be the end of John? And yeah, I think that's where we're going to live the majority of this season. And finally, our last scene from last season, the Night King resurrected Viserion and used the newly reborn Ice Dragon to collapse a section of the wall, allowing the army of the dead to march through. Just as a couple of asides, we obviously skipped over things and only hit the main points. A couple of big things, Arya ran across Nymeria, but realized she had turned wild and she went back off into the woods. Melisandre fled to Volantis. Varys and a bunch of other people have been sort of out of the picture for a while, but we will come back around to all of them. You're bringing back memories. Hopefully we're going to get some good direwolf battles. There's no more giants, right? So there's no... No. Oh, there's white giants. Yeah, there's no more living giants. But remember how every season up until last one, we used to do Wolf Watch? Mm -hmm. That was a staple CKC segment. And we had to stop doing it because there were so few dire wolves. We're going to talk about the future, not only for characters, but creatures as well, as we do still have two Nymeria and Ghost left. We do still have two living dragons. So there's some little... Shred of hope to hold on to. We have them for now. Before we get to theories and predictions, though, let's talk about what we know mostly for sure about season eight. It's going to premiere on Sunday, April 14th, right around the corner. It will be six episodes. They had originally planned to release three feature-length movies rather than six individual episodes, but HBO encouraged Benioff and Weiss supposedly to change that. 
I'm surprised to hear that it was the creators who actually wanted to do that format, as it's something they've kind of pushed back against for a while. But it could have been a money thing, because rumors are that each episode from this season cost $15 million. Wow. Now, we know every episode cost around $10 million last season, which had already broken records for any TV show in history. They're making so much more money back on it from people joining HBO just for Game of Thrones to all the merchandise, merchandise, the box DVD sets. Oh, yeah. In a world where we don't even do that a lot anymore. People still buy them for the features that you get exclusively on there. Absolutely. To so many other things. They're winning awards. They're making bank on this. And that's why they're going to be doing another Game of Thrones, the prequel. Spinoff. Yeah, we won't talk about that much in this episode, but eventually I do want to come back around to that because when that time comes, CKC will be covering it. Absolutely. And that $15 million, I'm not positive, but I believe that's not counting what they pay the actors. And at this point, the I actors must so. be making some bank. I think that's just for episode production. And yeah, we did get some figures on how that money had increased yet again this year for the major actors. It must. If you go back and watch season one, and your father actually pointed this out, this was before HBO started to uh, just open the vaults for them and let them take as much money as needed. You can see the difference in the amount of money they were able to spend in the costuming, everything. My dad said he almost couldn't believe it. And he has rewatched Game of Thrones a lot of times, but he went back to season one, episode one, and he called me and he said, I'm just shocked. I mean, nothing looks real. This is crazy. (laughs) I can't believe that it was so immersive and I bought all of it back then, but we've come so far now that to go back, you can really see the difference. I mean, yeah, they did an amazing job with what they had. In season one, it was very, very little. So we looked up the numbers on what the actors are supposedly getting paid. Firstly, in 2014, those that were considered the top tier cast, Amelia Clark, who plays Danny, Kit Harrington for Jon Snow, Lena Headey for Cersei, Peter Dinklage for Tyrion, and Nikolai Coster-Waldau for Jamie, reportedly each made 300000 per episode in 2014. That's still a lot of money, though. It was at the time. It's still, it is now, too. I mean, I could use that. After some of the lead shows that are on TV right now, GOT stars are the next highest paid actors in drama TV, and probably because there are so many of them on this cast. So in terms of salary, NCIS's Mark Harmon leads the field with $525,000 from CBS as of 2017. And that's just drama. I know that um, the Big Bang Theory, they make like a million. 900,000. I'm looking yeah. at it right now. Yep. And then back in the day, Friends was making a million per episode, every cast member there. But that's when there was less TV, less things to watch and more people watching every episode. And like you say, they're already spending so much money on other things. And this is a huge cast. But supposedly, as of this season, those top tier actors we were discussing are going to be paid 500,000 per episode. I like the fact that they're all getting the same amount, except for Maisie. Well, yeah, this was discussed a while ago. So Maisie Williams, Sophie Turner, the ones that we consider to be fairly major were making less. Now, the argument for this was when they started as actors, they were a lot younger, but they're not anymore. Hmm. So I don't know. Maybe that will change this season. Anyway, coming back to our facts, there was a bunch of different filming locations, some that we are very familiar with, such as Northern Ireland, Croatia, Spain. There was a lot of time spent at the Winterfell set in Moneyglass, which we'll talk about, and extensive shooting at a green screen set that was used to recreate King's Landing, as well as caves at Cushenden that were standing in for Dragonstone. Let's talk about writers and directors as well as actors. Who's returning? Who's doing what? This is one of our favorite things to analyze, especially when it comes to Game of Thrones. We are happy to hear returning directors are going to include Benioff and Weiss, David Nutter, who we know most famously for Red Wedding and Mother's Mercy, although tons of other episodes, Miguel Sapochnik. He's back. He's back. We're talking The Gift, Hard Home, Battle of the Bastards, some of our favorite GOT episodes. He was not here as a director for season seven. And returning writers will include Benioff and Weiss, Brian Cogman, and Dave Hill. We actually know the layout. Episode one will be written by Dave Hill and directed by David Nutter and will be 54 minutes. So no, 
none of this two-hour stuff yeah. we got rumors about. In fact, the longest episode will not even be an hour and a half. It'll be 82 minutes for episode three, and we'll tell you why that is. But they still are going to be fairly lengthy. Episode two will be written by Brian Cogman, directed by David Nutter, and will be 58 minutes. Episodes three through six will all be written by Benioff and Weiss. Three and five will be directed by Miguel Sapochnik, coming in at 82 and 80 minutes, respectively. Four directed by David Nutter at 78 minutes. And six also directed by Benioff and Weiss. So they're going to do the whole thing for the finale. They were like, nope. This is ours. We need to take care of this. I actually read an article about that. A lot of creators are doing that nowadays. Well, especially for them, they said, and I'll give you the short of it. They have been thinking about this final episode for so many years, and they've been putting so much thought and attention into it. They felt it would be unfair to now have a different director and be over their shoulder the whole time. Like, no, this isn't isn't how we want it. Well, and I like the fact that they're writing the majority of the season as well, because you will have that more cohesive sense. And with a lot of shows we've been covering, we find that the creators, when they're also writing, it tends to be really strong. Now, if they try to do too much and they take over everything all of the time, you don't have enough good ideas flowing. But in your eighth and final season Mm -hmm. of a show that is as intensive as this, where they have had to break from their roadmap, they have no more source material, they're kind of tackling a first in TV history. This is probably the way it's got to be, and I have a lot of faith in them to handle it. We'll be happy to hear for actors returning. All of the main characters will be back, including Tormund and Beric Dondarrion. So that's Christopher Hiju and Richard Dormer, the two who we last saw running as the wall was under attack, and we wondered, oh man, did they make it out of there? I still wonder that, because they could be returning, but as whites. It didn't sound like it, at least okay, not initially. Well, while we're speaking about it, we know for sure there's going to be some touching moments when Jon Snow is going to have to fight someone he loved because that person is now a white. Mm-hmm. There's no And other characters it. will have to do the same. Yeah. I mean, I think Uncle Benjamin is a possibility, too. Yeah. He just came back and saved his life. For sure. We also know we're going to see some new actors. We don't know a lot about what they're going to be playing. So some are just listed as name. Character named Fergus, who will be played by Seamus O'Hara. One named Willa, played by Alice Noakes. Sara, played by Daniel Galligan. Some unnamed characters, played by Emmer McDowell and Toby Osmond. But one we did get a little info. Harry Strickland, the leader of the Golden Company. And that's the one that Cersei has hired to try to maintain her position on the Iron Throne. That will be played by Mark Rissman, who you might know from The Last Kingdom. We have confirmed not appearing. Tycho Nosaurus, which I didn't really expect to see him again. Mira Reed, which it did feel like a goodbye between her and Bran last season when she got him safely to Winterfell and he said he's got to kind of do his own thing now. Yeah. But I'm shocked that that's going to be it. It, no closure. I guess characters like that, we don't really have time in our last season. And there was some question about Alaria Sand. I mean, yes, her death was implied, but we didn't see it directly. She has confirmed that she's not coming back either. So I know we had some thoughts about maybe she got out of there, but it's not looking like it. And other actors have teased potentially bigger roles for this season, including Gendry. Joe Dempsey has said, you're going to see a lot more of him. He's going to be important in season eight. Well, that brings us into what we know about the plot. We actually have gotten some information about this more than we normally have coming into a season. And this is from a bunch of different sources. Overall, David Nutter said, the fans will not be let down. There are a lot of firsts in season eight. The funniest sequence I've ever shot on this show, the most emotional and compelling scene I've ever shot. And there's one scene where there's so many major characters together, it feels like you're watching a superhero movie. (laughs) That's probably episode three. Yeah, everything we're talking about, we're going to get to in a second, sounds mostly like it's about episode three. They've told us the season will begin with Danny and John arriving at Winterfell, a calm before the storm type of entry that might surprise viewers with its play-like intimacy. Quote, what follows is a thrilling, intense intermingling of characters, some of whom have never previously met, many of whom have messy histories, as they all prepare to face the inevitable invasion of the army of the dead. John, Danny, Tyrion, Arya, Sansa, and Brienne are fighting for their lives, impossibly outnumbered against a supernatural enemy. This was the most difficult episode to produce, possibly in TV history, people have said. 
So now we're getting into the infamous episode three, which we've been told includes the longest consecutive battle sequence ever committed to film. The crew spent a massive 55 days filming this battle at the Moneyglass base in Northern Ireland. This is the set they have constructed for Winterfell that includes an entire castle. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> the actors have said that when they were walking through it, they forgot it wasn't a real castle. That's how extensive it was. Coming back to the battle, Peter Dinklage said, the scene makes Battle of the Bastards look like a theme park. <laughs> it was 11 weeks of grueling night shoots, 750 people, near freezing temperatures, icy rain, and piercing wind. Brian Cogman said, what we asked the production team and crew to do this year truly has never been done in TV or movie. This final face-off between the Army of the Dead and the Army of the Living is completely unprecedented and relentless, with a mixture of genres even within the battle. It's been exhausting, but I think it will blow everyone away. In fact, when preparing for the shoot, Sapochnik said he tried to find a longer battle sequence in cinema history and couldn't. The closest was the nearly 40-minute Helm's Deep Siege in Lord of the Rings Two Towers, which he studied to determine when the audience would get battle fatigue. And they went a little longer than that. Wow. And there's a couple of articles that discuss this. You really have to read what the actors say. Maisie Williams says, Nothing can prepare you for how physically draining it is, night after night, again and again. It just doesn't stop. You can't get sick. You have to look out for yourself because there's so much to do that nobody else can do. There are moments you're just broken as a human and want to cry. Ian Glenn, who plays Sir Jorah Mormont, said it was the most unpleasant experience I've ever had. Really miserable. You get to sleep at 7 in the morning, and when you wake in midday, you're still so spent that you can't do anything. But now you have to go back. You have no life outside of it. You're absolutely effed. But he says that when you're talking about, you know, not getting too method, but getting into your character, it does bleed through into their acting on scene, sure. which is actually a good thing. In this scene, you need to look tired, like you've been at war in the freezing cold. Okay, I could do that. Sapochnik said to keep the actors focused during these long, cold hours, where actually one actor wound up passing out and had to receive med medical attention. I mean, all of them, cast, crew, they were just totally drained after this, but he would come up to them and surprise them with questions such as, you're in the middle of a battle. Why are you here? And Rory McCann said, well, why am I here? It really gets you thinking. Then he'll go up to another actor and say, what are you fighting for? I'm and sure he had to be kind of like a football coach trying to keep people's energy up, eye on the prize, pep talk. We also have very, very little news on the finale. They have said secrecy was ratcheted up to another level. Only crew members wearing a special episode six badge were even allowed on set during filmmaking. And some scenes were shot on a closed set. I can only imagine what these guys went through to keep everything secret. I know that they had the government working with them. To create so, a no-fly zone. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was once where a helicopter flew by. They, they yelled cut on the set. They got on the horn with the government, like, who is that? How did someone get through the military? And come to find out it was a police helicopter. When you're dealing with this amount of money, this amount of secrecy, on the other end, news agencies, you know, really popular blogs with the money, they're also dealing with a lot of money on that end. Mm -hmm. So they would be willing to, you know, do a special ops mission just to get a picture, one snapshot We've of the set. We've heard some crazy things in the past about people trying to get information for Game of Thrones. So imagine having to deal with the cold, the long hours, the, the impossible script, the fact that, you know, every second is a couple million dollars. <laughs> um, as an actor when you find out what's coming for your character in yeah. the end and you have to deal with that, whatever that's going to be. Yeah, during their filming, there was a lot of articles about them crying. and. Just yeah, I didn't put a lot of that in here because it doesn't really give you any information, no. but just how emotional, essentially, it was for each one of them when they read what the result was going to be. Uh, one that was like a little different, Amelia Clark said when she read hers, she was upset Quote, knowing that it's going to be a lasting flavor in someone's mouth of what Daenerys is. Oh. So that, to me, kind of gives something away because it's making her sound a bit like a bad guy. She's going to go out in a way that's maybe not heroic. Uh-oh. So come back to all of potentially those theories we had tossed around last season. Or she ends up being a White Walker. Why would that leave a bad taste, though? We'd be upset about that. 
Yeah, you're right. I don't know. I read a really good article, and I won't get into it in this podcast, about Amelia Clark and what she went through after shooting season one. She had two major surgeries, brain surgeries. For an aneurysm, correct? Yeah, and uh, all that she went through. So if you guys are interested, just Google that. It's a really good article. Well, Sophie Turner called the finale satisfying, bloodier than ever, full of betrayal, war, and danger. And Peter Dinklage said, it ends brilliantly, better than I could have imagined. And it ends beautifully for my character, whether it be tragic or not. Hmm. He dies on the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) The senior VP of HBO said the script left the cast and crew all crying. Now, one thing we do know, thanks to a lawsuit against Nikolai Koster-Waldau. We know that this character, Jamie, will survive at least until the end of the season, as documents filed in court showed he appeared in all six episodes. See, isn't that crazy? That is what people are trying to figure out. Mm -hmm. They're actually going to the court documents like, okay, so this means that he's still there, which means this, which means that. He had to show where he was for this time, I guess, and it showed he was at filming all six episodes. What was the lawsuit? I have no idea. I couldn't find any information on it. Oh, it's too bad. I mean, that's his private life. So I guess, you know, that's already a big enough spoiler. But we had kind of thought if Jamie dies, it's not going to be until fairly towards the end. I don't know if I would have given him episode six, but kind of completing his redemption arc, going out in a heroic moment. Also, one fun extra, it's not really related to this season, but HBO has confirmed there is a special that will be made exclusively available on the upcoming Complete Series box set. Speaking of that, because we do always buy the DVD box set. Yes, we do. And it will feature past and present cast members with Conan O'Brien as the host. Huh. Well, we know Conan won't be playing video games with them. Because that's what he does often. (laughs) We heard um, Sean Bean, who played Ned, was definitely coming back to voice some work for this. And the extras on these DVD sets, if you haven't seen them yet, truly are just one of a kind. Everything HBO does. This isn't just extras thrown in there. It's like a whole other series worth of fun stuff to watch about the show. You know, speaking of games, we did have an interview with Aaron Campbell, who is one of the creators of one of the mobile games, Game of Thrones Conquest. Really fun game, and they've introduced dragons finally into that. I'd like to say thanks to us, but I'm sure they already knew. (laughs) (laughs) This probably won't happen, but I'm hoping that a studio like Rockstar Games picks this up and makes a game, like a full-fledged game, similar to Red Dead Redemption 2, where there's so many storylines within the game. It's open world. If they could do that with Game of Thrones, they would make so much money, and I would buy all of it own my own dragon, be Daenerys. How fun would that be? Yeah. So if you're looking for more content in the meantime, I know for me, I just can't get enough material leading up to this season of Game of Thrones. You can go back and check out that interview. Also, you can go back to our final episode last season, the season seven bonus. We call it a bonus, but perhaps that's not really fair. We go through everything that happened that season, kind of wrapping up our thoughts on it. So it's a good way to put a capper on everything that happened and get you ready. So next, we're just going to take a quick look at the trailer, break it down a little bit, and then give our theories and predictions for what could be coming up. So as we said next, we're just going to spend a minute breaking down the trailer. I know everyone's probably seen it. There's a lot of breakdown videos out there. We're not going to go super frame by frame on this, just how it informs our general theories and predictions moving forward. It starts out with Arya running through the halls of Winterfell saying, I know death. He's got many faces. I look forward to seeing this one. Now in the video, it looks like Arya's scared, Mm -hmm. right? And she's running away from something. Do you think she actually is scared or you know how she plays right now? Well, that statement doesn't sound scared, what she's saying in the voiceover. It's like, bring it on. Now, if the army of the undead is attacking, I don't know how you could not be scared, but I have a feeling this isn't actually that scene where the Night King and the full army is there. This is the scene we've theorized at, which was in the teaser trailer, where her and John and Sansa have to go down into the crypts and the ancient kings of Winterfell start waking up. Oh, I see. So that's what she's running from? I think so. That'd be... Okay, that's cool. Yeah, as I said that, and I was saying she's playing, if it was a human, she could play with them thinking she's running scared, and then she'll go to a corner and be there and be like, hello, or something, and fuck them up. But well, you can't trick a white like that. Can you? Because, maybe not a white, because they don't care. They're unthinking. But we have theorized that the million ways that Arya could use her face-changing abilities. I don't think it's just what we've seen thus far. It was an entire journey arc for her throughout Game of Thrones. 
At first, we had wondered if she was going to go south and use that to kill Cersei, possibly wearing Jamie's face. Does that mean the Valonqar prophecy can come true in some fashion? But it doesn't seem like that's going to be the big issue, and the battle is going to probably be fought before they have to turn their attentions to the political climate, what's happening in King's Landing. So is she going to use that in some way up here? Can she take a white's face? Can she sneak in with the Night King? We were thinking about that, and I'm going to say no. Physically, I don't know. Um, I would angle towards no. I don't have a real good reason. But the sneaking around, I don't think she can get over on the White King because he feels more knowing than that. It's not just like they look like my army, so they're my army. They follow them. Remember, if one of the head cogs dies, they all die, which means they're really connected. They could feel each other. So I don't think... He has a sensory ability that goes beyond... Be on sight. Right. And we don't think she, by a long stretch, is going to be the one to take out the Night King if that happens. We have a couple theories on it, but Jon Snow obviously being the forerunner. Anyhow, based off everything we have learned and heard about thus far, there is going to eventually be this big battle at Winterfell. Then we see ships approaching across the sea with the Kraken symbol carrying the golden army. There are shots of King's Landing and Kyburn standing next to a smirking Cersei with the mountain looming behind. This is the whole plot line we heard her talk about that she's going to get the Golden Company in order to continue fighting. Who knows? Like, what, what is the purpose right now when they're being demolished by the undead so up north? I don't know how that's going to play in. Me neither. I'm really curious how they play that through. Mm-hmm. Then we have Bran starting out talking to Sam, voicing over everything you did brought you to where you are now, where you belong, home. But that also pans through several shots in the north in King's Landing. We get a shot of the northern army amassing with Danny and John riding between them on horseback as the dragons fly overhead, presumably prepping for battle. As John says, they're coming. Our enemy doesn't tire, doesn't stop, doesn't feel. Ugh. And this really builds up until the next point where Sansa is watching from the battlements. Gendry is making weapons. Grey Worm is kissing Missandei. It looks like... He's going to die, for they're, sure. They're all saying goodbye. They're getting ready. The dragons fly over what's now a snowy ground, and John visits the heart tree. We did hear that there's going to be a lot of parallels to season one. Coming back to Winterfell, the way they ride into the castle the way John has to visit the heart tree, all just very reminiscent of Ned and Catelyn, everything from season one. Then you hear Jamie say, I promise to fight for the living. I intend to keep that promise. And then it culminates. Men are running. People are fighting. The dragons are blowing fire, standing over a pile of bones. And the army stands waiting. The Winterfell army poised, Brienne, Pod, Jorah, all on the front lines as the final shot shows the hooves of the Night King's horse approaching. That's one thing we can guarantee with Game of Thrones. Other movies, maybe the beginning of a war, the hero will be in the front, but then you know they're safe for a little bit. With Game of Thrones, the heroes are at the front. No one is safe. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, no, why don't we put our heroes in the back? Let them go in the back. It's honestly the only show I think I've ever watched where I am never comfortable that anyone is safe, including Danny and Jon Snow. I just have no idea. I have a feeling, and we'll talk about that in a second, that they are going to make it through to the very end. But who the hell knows, really? Do you remember the feeling before you knew what Game of Thrones was? You're watching season one and you're like, okay, Ned's not going to die. He's not going to die. But it's TV. Something's going to happen. And then he dies and you're like, what? I I don't want to. I got to tell you, it started even (laughs) earlier than that for me. Bran gets pushed out of a window to what seems like death and then paralysis. Lady, the dire wolf dies. You're getting these foreshadows. Early, early in season one, characters we love might not make it through altogether or in the way we thought they were going to. And then, yeah, Ned was just the icing on the cake. Probably one of the top build, most famous actors in the cast. Forget about plot line wise, how much we love him. Yeah. And I was just not used to someone they built up all season long and then for them to take him away. And that started my Game of Thrones love. And your parallel to him here certainly has to be Jon Snow, unfortunately. I mean, (laughs) when Jon first died, of course, I had the hope that he'd be coming back. And then the more research I did, I was like, okay, he's coming back. But right when he gets stabbed, I'm like, oh, that's it. There's Ned moment. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
Except that now that we know he's part Targaryen, I feel a little bit different about his fate. And that's something we've discussed for a long time. There are several things that could equate to fire and ice embodied together. But John as a person could be considered the embodiment of ice and fire. And some version of that has to defeat the Night King. And I've never forgotten the way the Night King looked at him the first time. He looked at him differently it's- with a different kind of meaning. And we don't know what that come means. at me crow yeah. is how the internet has blown that one up. So over the seasons, we have had thousands of predictions. There's no way to even talk about them all here, but I found an article from Harper's Bazaar that talks about some of the best fan theories out there, including some new twists on old favorites. And I pulled out what I consider to be 10 of the best or ones we have talked about as a sort of brush up. Number one is Melisandre will bring Viserion back to life. And that's actually one I hadn't heard before, that she could change him back to a regular dragon. That would be amazing. Right? That would give her purpose to be back in this great war. How would she do that, though? She'd have to get close enough. She did her magic on Jon Snow. I mean, maybe we'd have to kind of kill him again. I don't know. How do you take down an ice dragon? Does anybody know? Well, none of us have the arm, apparently, strength. That the Night King has. Remember that when he threw that? Oh, he could just chuck the spear. Long range. But we have those giant bows. Those giant ones like it's a a machine. The crossbow bolt, but it's anchored what almost took down Drogon. Yeah. So we'd need a giant Valerian steel arrow. Well, we said there's going to have to be a way that they start formulating weapons from all this Valerian steel that they've mined. Not just that people can be equipped with spears and arrows and all that, which they are. We assume that's what this getting ready for the war is and Gendry forging, but there's got to be some larger level weapons they're creating. And yeah, I mean, it makes sense that that would be one of them. Now we had discussed that they can't swim. So what I would do is I would just make like a a moat around me. (laughs) Just be like, come on, come on. Yes, but we've seen them freeze it. Oh, that's true. Like yeah. when our crew was north of the wall. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I'd be the asshole. Like, come on. And then they freeze it. I'm like, oh, no. uh, <laughs> I just spent weeks preparing this <laughs> yeah. boat. Can you have dragons keep going by and keeping Burning it, it liquid? Yeah. That'd be cool. One of my weapons that I would want, my weapon of choice, of course, imagining that I know how to wield weapons, <laughs> it would be a flail made out of Valerian steel because there's so many of them. I would just be twisting. Just swinging like, it. What if it gets stuck in one, though? Oh, no. And then you're like, uh, uh. Hopefully the momentum will just keep (laughs) just turning around dizzy. I would panic. I'd be the worst. Yeah, I'd never make it. Moving on, our number two theory, the Valonqar prophecy we were speaking about, that Jamie will kill Cersei. Of course, the lines from the book that she received from Maggie the Frog as a child, that her younger brother, the Valonqar, would wrap his hands around her pale throat and take the life from her. Much of the book, we assumed that that would be Tyrion, but then there was a lot of talk about how technically Jaime is the younger twin in that situation, and it's only poetic justice if he's the one who gets to kill her. If that's the case, okay, remind me when we go through our predictions to talk about that. Here. Oh, oh, we're talking about our predictions too? You can include yours. We're not, we're not doing the live or die checklist yet, but if you have more elaborate theories. Okay, this is what I'm thinking, backed up by absolutely nothing is that Cersei, because of her selfishness, actually survives it. I hate this. I hate it already. But Jaime also survives. Mm. Cersei is reigning King Supreme until Jaime comes, kills his sister. Redemption, he's the king. Now, in that scenario, do you think John and Danny both die, but not before she gives birth to the child they conceived with boat sex that is ice and fire and will come to reign and rule the kingdom. And until then, Tyrion rules. This is like sort of a theory we've tossed around with other pieces mixed in. I don't know how the time frame works on this, that she gets pregnant and has a child before the end of all of this. I was going to say that, yeah. I think that means she's got to make it through at least the battle in order for that to happen. I don't foresee her making it through. I don't foresee anything we just said there. I think... One of the two of them will live, John or Danny. I don't think they will rule the kingdom. I think that will be Tyrion. Tyrion? Yeah. Oh. I think Tyrion makes it out of this whole thing, and he's running the kingdom once this is over. I wouldn't mind that. And I think either John or Danny live, but as the force that the Starks used to be, which is why I think it's John, just the kings of the north, keeping the wall safe, 
keeping these secrets safe, making sure that this doesn't happen again, even though we know in thousands of years it probably will. It's like a reset to where we began, but John is the one ruling in the North now. Who saves him? Who saves John? Yeah, because for sure he's about to die. Danny and a dragon die in order for him to live. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I was going to say Sam. (laughs) Sam definitely makes it out too, because I also subscribe to our number 10 and we're jumping way ahead to the end here, but the number 10 theory that Sam is writing A Song of Ice and Fire right now. That's what we're watching, this whole story. Love it. And if nothing else is true, we think that's going to be, because when asked, George R.R. Martin says, if pinned to it, the one he identifies most with in this story is Sam. Sam, okay. And Sam has knowledge. He has shit to share. He has to make it out in order to make sure that that gets passed down again. Half the problem here is we've all forgotten yeah. about the first long night and the fact that White Walkers are real and this could happen. People like Cersei need to be shown an actual white to buy it. But the Citadel didn't forget. The learned it. But they're so, they're in denial or they don't they're want... hiding the information. Why would you hide? Uh, I guess if our government realized that we were going to, the world was going to end in a year, they probably wouldn't let us what know. What are you going to do? Yeah. What are you really going to do? Well, so we talked about how on the alternate version of the Valencar prophecy, Arya could use Jamie's face to kill Cersei. I no longer think that's likely because I think she's part of the Northern contingent. I don't know where that puts her role or Sansa's role in this battle to come. And that scares me because that means if I can't see a future where they're important, maybe they're taken off the table. I think, again, one of them probably will live. And just because she's a better fighter, I picture it being Arya. Or I could give you the argument, because she's a better fighter, she most likely will be fighting. In danger. And putting herself in danger and will die. I don't uh, think she's going to be on the front lines, though. No. That's not her strength it's not right her now. Style. She learned the sneak tip. And is that even Arya? I mean, we're gonna, are we going to have that conversation? <laughs> well, we had that all last season. <laughs> yeah. And I think they finally told us, you have to just get over it because we're not playing with that anymore. <laughs> You never unfortunately, know. Unfortunately, but if we look at the parallels to Nymeria, and we'll talk about that later, what creatures are going to make it out of here. Arya certainly parallels Nymeria in a way. And if there's one direwolf that is making it through this whole thing, it's her. You know, Arya's kind of changed those chips a little bit by bringing herself back to her home and her family. She no longer is that lone wolf out there fighting alone. Does that endanger her more? Mm. And lower her chances of survival, as it probably does for Ghost, unfortunately. But speaking of the sisters, another one out there, we had talked about the Lady Stoneheart prophecy for a very long time. As we've said at the top, spoilers abound in this podcast. We're not holding anything back. So if you're afraid of any of that, please turn away. If you don't know who Lady Stoneheart is, turn away. But we've talked about, in past seasons, we thought it would actually be Catelyn the way it was in the books that would return and have that storyline going. People are saying now, what if it's one of her children? So what if it's Sansa who winds up becoming that? I don't think we have time to play that out. I don't either. But if the war is episode three, we know it's a full episode of war. Maybe four, five, six is what happens after. Mm -hmm. And that gives us time. Which I think will happen. But I think if we're going to see people come back, it's going to be people that are already dead coming back as whites that we have to fight in this army. It's going to be something that... It's going to be Rob Stark coming face to face with John, a dead Rob White or something of that nature that's going to be gut-wrenching for us. As a podcaster, how are we going to do this? How do we open up the podcast? Welcome to the... Instead of being like... Hey, guys, uh, welcome to... uh, (laughs) We hate everything. Everyone's dead. (laughs) Oh, man. All right, moving along. Theory number five. John will kill Danny to forge Lightbringer and become the prince that was promised. So in this alternate theory, instead of Danny rushing into battle with her dragon to save John, she voluntarily realizes, yes, this prophecy has to come to be. John has to forge Lightbringer the blade that can defeat the Night King, the same way that Azora High had to do it by killing his love, Nissa Nissa. And so she allows herself to be killed by John so he can make that blade that will go defeat the Night King. And I see that being very likely. We talked about for a long time that potentially being Jamie who uses that sword to kill Cersei. 
But then that means Jamie's going to be the one to kill the Night King. Jamie is the prince that was promised. I mean, I don't know. If we have a Lightbringer situation, do you see it being more likely that it's John or Jamie? I want to say John, but broken record, it's Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. so who knows? Theory number seven, one that we tossed around a lot at the end of last season, Bran is the Night King. The Night King does look like Bran. Everyone's seen it online. It would be a fun twist, and that would be the Night King. Going back to what I was saying, that scene where the Night King looked at John differently. Mm-hmm. That's his brother. Going back to him, touching him, brand that is, being able to see. Yeah. Now, what I like about this, because some of the theories, like theory number eight, the Night King's after Bran because he and the Three-Eyed Raven are ancient enemies. So they've just been fighting each other for all of time. Mm-hmm. The living, the dead, the light, the dark. This is what the children were here for. And so it's not specifically Bran. The Night King's after whoever is the Three-Eyed Raven. As soon as Bran became the new Three-Eyed Raven, that's when that intensified. Mm -hmm. He's not coming south for anything else but to try to get Bran. That would make sense. The new twist on that that I hadn't heard is the Night King is never really killed. He's put at bay. And the way this happens is somebody volunteering to become the next Night King putting themselves into that position. And for a while, they hold on to the knowledge. They go back up north, the long night ends, but eventually it deteriorates them. They forget, they come south again. And so in this theory, Bran, the new three-eyed raven, shows down and John volunteers himself to become the next Night King. Oh, John does. John does. And that was foreshadowing of them looking at each other. and. So what you're saying is John would become the new Night King What happens to the old Night King? He just dies? He ceases to exist, I guess. He gets replaced with whoever the next host is. They all go up north. He gets banished. They redo the wall. And he goes up north as a good guy and then eventually forgets? Right now as a good guy, as one who's going to bring the troops back up and resign himself to this fate that he has to keep them at bay. But the theory goes that over time... Whatever was left of John starts to go too, until one day he just becomes the embodiment of the Night King. There's no more John left. And the Three Eyed Raven is the one who has to keep track of all of this. So John becomes the new Night King, Bran becomes the new Three Eyed Raven. Okay. But I would think John would kill himself if that was the case. To try to stop it once and for all? Yeah. Well, once he was the Night King. In that, in that situation, he can't be killed. Even by himself. Oh. The Night King is like this eternal force that can only be... Well, that's not fair. Well, no, <laughs> not at all. But uh, poetic? Yeah. So that was number nine. John becomes the Night King willingly. Bran becomes the new Three-Eyed Raven. Anything else that we have missed, theory-wise? Probably a million things. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious to find out how John and Danny react when they realize they're kind of related. I know everybody was going on and on about that last time. With our Super Speed Season 7, I think we had to put aside a lot of things that, should we ever get the books by Martin someday, will be important. We'll get all those side stories. They'll be more of a thing with the Sand Snakes and Dorn that ultimately never really mattered to anything. Dorn. There'll be more of a thing with the Greyjoys and Theon and Yara that I don't think are going to be important at all this last season. And even stuff that should have been a bigger deal that will probably get passing mention, like the two of them being related, I don't think is going to be fully elaborated in the TV series. I just don't see how you cover everything. I think maybe it's a passing conversation. They find out she doesn't care. There's bigger issues at hand. End of story. Hmm. Okay. I was thinking when you brought up Arya, if she survives, maybe she gets hurt and it's her direwolf and the clan that drag her to safety, and they take care of her until she's better. That would be an awesome side story. Again, something I don't know that the TV has time for, but I hope the dire wolves altogether are handled so differently in the novels because I don't think there's any way to reverse it now. We messed it up. They didn't include it enough in the TV series. It's all down to does ghost live or die, and hopefully we get a final shot of Nymeria being the surviving dire wolf. No more wolves dying. That's what I want. Let's let's make a protest. So we're talking about who's living or dying. Let's move into our final section, prediction-wise, where we'll do sort of a rapid fire. Okay. 
Do they live or not? I'm back and forth in this. So the people we just said will live, I might by mistake say they die. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start out with some that are not top, top tier characters. The mountain, the undead weirdness that's serving Cersei right now. Die, but not by a white. Yeah, agreed. Hopefully by the hound, if he makes it out of this battle so for Clegane Bowl. <laughs> well, let's talk about it. The hound. Oh, I think along with many, many others who I don't want to see go, lives until episode three and dies in the big battle, serving our top tier characters. Agree. And I'd love to see it saving someone like Arya, because that makes it all come full circle. Beric Dondarrion, who we didn't think was going to survive the wall coming down, but it seems like he did. I think his time has come. His time is more than come. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Die early. Or does he bring someone else back? No, I don't. We keep thinking bringing everyone it's back to late. life. Yeah, it's, it's too yeah, late. Yeah. All right. How about Tormund? Oh, another dies in the big battle. Unfortunately, he was, he's I one of my favorite him. actors. I yeah. love him so much. Oh, All right. What about Gendry? Ran a foot race in season seven to get back to the wall. Uh, maybe lives. I say live. Yeah. This kid has made it out of a lot. He's going to be crucial, at least, to forming the weapons. Yeah, so he might be hanging back, continuing the build. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of speculating, will he wind up with Arya eventually? If she makes it out, I got to think he does. Ed Tollett. Live. Live, live, live. Ed against all odds. He's like the only one that made it out of these battles of the wall. He is the unlikeliest Lord Commander the Night's Watch has ever seen. <laughs> I think he lives. Oh, how about Pod? Pod and Brienne. Let's just... They die. I think they both die. Unfortunately. And I think earlier. M- me too. For sure. later. Uh, man, and then we're going to have to fight Same, Brienne. same. Grey Worm and Missandei. Die. Die. Early. Bronn. Die, probably. He's another one of those he makes it against all odds. But I think saving Tyrion or Jamie, that one of them is going to need help. Yeah. We got a lot of people to save John and Danny. Who's looking out for Tyrion <laughs> or Jamie? Like Braun, nobody else. Yeah, he probably dies early. Davos. Ooh, one of my favorite book characters followed right after that by Jorah. I think he's another one who's way past his timestamp. And I don't see what he brings to the team later on. We need a wizard on our side. Melisandre. <laughs> I guess so. Bring her, come back. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I think the same for Jorah. I mean, we, we cured his grayscale. We brought him back here. But what purpose he's already given the ancestral blade of Valyrian steel to Jon, which was the biggest deal he served. I mean, I'm not sure why he's reunited with this group. If not to die saving them. Uh, how about the Greyjoys, Euron and Yara? And Theon, all and dead. Theon. All dead. Yeah. If Euron makes it out of this, I am going to be so pissed. He's brought back in to be a pawn of Cersei's, so she thinks, but mm-hmm. he's obviously getting one over on her. But the whole Greyjoy plotline seemed like something they never really got a chance to flesh out. Yeah. If he just winds up going sailing off into the sunset to screw up more lives, is it Game of Thrones? Kind of, but I don't see a point to it. If somebody like that's going to make it out, it's Cersei. I hope Theon goes down saving Yara, redeeming himself finally. Yeah. Kyburn. I'm sorry to say, I think he makes it. Okay. Another schemer and climber, and he's Cersei's right-hand man. If we think she's going to make it, I think he probably does too. How about Varys? really unknown how he's fitting into anything right now. He was such a huge deal until Littlefinger was gone. And then it was like they were two sides of the same coin. What do we do with Varys now? If he dies, it'll be by a human. It's not going to be by a white. For sure. All right, Gilly. Gilly, Sam, and baby Sam all live. Sansa. I think they're the only ones to actually get a happy ending. So even if other people make it out, it's going to be tragic. But I think they get to stay together and to write this story and be happy. Okay. Sansa, dead. Again, if we're picking one of the two sisters, I think she goes. Arya, uh, I'm going to say Arya alive. Lives. Jamie, alive. Ooh, Jamie, alive. Well, because remember I was telling you, I feel that Cersei will live, but Jamie will dethrone her. He'll be the one to kill his sister. So she will die eventually. Yes. 
I agree, but I kind of think he's got to go down in the process. I think he fights for a while and then... Past the main battle. Perhaps, or beginning of the main battle. And then he's told to go and tell Cersei this shit's real. Mm -hmm. And he goes back. And he's got to kill her. I'm making this up on the spot. So don't kill me. Golden Company, listen, I know you came here to like be involved in a political thing, but Mm -hmm. this is a lot more real than that. And if you're not going to listen to her, I'm taking her out. And I'm bringing you with me because this shit is for real. Maybe. Yeah, maybe that's the case. I like that. We can pay you in Dragonglass. <laughs> <laughs> Bran Stark. We're going to say live unless he becomes the king. Either way, it's... Yeah, do you consider that living? Do you consider right. Three-Eyed Raven living? I think either way, he doesn't die. He becomes something. He's okay. already becoming something greater than... Something brand new. Dirt. <laughs> Oberyn, because he's never dead to me, ever. (laughs) Never dead to me. Tyrion, I've already stated my thoughts very clearly on this. I think he makes it out and all the way to the end. I would like that, but I'm going to say no. Cersei kills him. Don't tell me these things. (laughs) All right, the big ones, John and Danny. Danny, no. John, yes. I want to say yes, but God damn it. They can't take both of them. They They just can't. And they will. They just can't. (laughs) I can sacrifice Danny, give me John for the love. He's died once already. Isn't that enough? That's what I would say. Does he have to die again? All right. And the Night King. Death. Death to the Night King. Unless we get that ending scene that I said earlier on this podcast. Where he's sitting on the the Iron Throne. I hate that. That won't happen. so much. (laughs) All right. And creatures. This is going to hurt me. Our two remaining dragons, Rhaegal and Drogon. Unfortunately, dead. I think dead to Rhaegal, not to Drogon. Okay. If we manage to defeat them, we have to have one dragon left to do it. I hope so. And uh, same to the wolves. I think Ghost dies and Nymeria makes it. I'm going to go with you on that. I'm already sad. All right. Well, I'm sure thoughts will change a million times before (laughs) we really get to the end. But those are our thoughts for right now. There is so much happening in the world of Game of Thrones. We would really need about five podcasts to effectively cover all of this. One other exciting thing that we did hear about for all of you Game of Thrones fans out there, there was an article in the New York Times talking about how the Northern Ireland studio, where quite a few parts of the show have been filmed, is being transformed into a destination spot for fans who wish to see the show's sets, costumes, and props in person starting next year. Sounds awesome. So the studio tour will transform a 110,000 square foot space at Linen Mill Studios, that's in Bainbridge, outside of Belfast, into an interactive version of Winterfell. So it's not just you can walk through and see some cool stuff. You're going to actually feel like you're immersed in the sites where scenes from Winterfell, Castle Black, and more were shot. It's expected to open up to the public in spring 2020. That would be an expensive vacation for us, but that would be fun. Maybe we should have our wedding there. It'd be awesome <laughs> to see that and really feel like you're in it. Yeah. You're in Winterfell. That would be amazing. Actually beats the thought of going to Universal for the Harry Potter. Well, and then you just got to go all out and have your wedding be Game of Thrones themed. Oh, of course. If you're there, you yeah, got to do it. And be in Ireland, the whole <laughs> deal. And briefly, I won't talk about it because I don't want to spoil it for people who don't want to be aware of things that they're going to see when they sit down this Sunday. Even though we already did that about a hundred times. Well, yeah, but we were guessing. (laughs) Yeah. We know for sure that the opening map sequence, thanks to someone filming it during Mm, the premiere... Through magic. (laughs) ...will be different. I don't know that's such a huge bomb drop, though, because... It's always different. It hasn't changed every season dramatically, But there are some seasons where it really has when things on the map, so to speak, change, the opening sequence changes. So, of course, in this final season, it's got to be new, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not hard to guess which areas they would focus on. Of course. You know, with this podcast, not in the instant cast, because it's going to be too much to talk about our initial reactions, but in the episode one full review coverage, we're going to break that sucker down (laughs) frame by frame. It's better to wait anyway till we get a clear shot because that's such a visual thing that we want to see it in all of its splendor. Okay. We'll be sure to talk about that then. And of course, the whole crew has been out on their media tours. They've been on all the talk shows. And for April Fool's, we had Maisie Williams do a fake... She 
got me. Yeah. I'm not afraid to admit it that she got me. She is a great actress. The look on her face <laughs> that she just, it looked like she was going to die. And then she ran off set. And I was like, oh my God, she's serious. <laughs> I would have said that except for the fact that Jimmy Fallon released it. They wouldn't have released it if it was real. There's a lot of accidents floating around, as we've seen. But those are live. He's rec- Yes, but he even says it on there. It's okay. We can take it out later. We're, right. we're, it was recording, like, as though this is a version we weren't supposed oh, to okay, see. Oh, okay, okay. Because I saw it online. Well, yeah. As the, a video YouTube, clip. So yeah. I thought somebody put this up there. But we go into all of the April Fool's Day fun stuff, the history, the fun facts. What are some of the greatest pranks that ever took place throughout past times and current times? Common topics that we cover. So April Fool's Day is this month's coverage for CKC Patreon. If you are not already a member and you're looking for some more fun information, you can definitely go check that out. Experience all of the background and research we put into that, the bonuses have topics such as that. And then the coffee breaks are a little more interactive with questions and games where Jason and I often do much, much worse than our (laughs) listeners. It's going to be fun and that'll be coming out this month. So if you love what we're doing and you want to help us out, join our Patreon, go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on Patreon, join us for a month, see how you feel. Tell your friends about us. There's a lot of Game of Thrones podcasts out there. If you feel like we are your favorite, let them know. Tell them online. Tell them in person. We need our army to grow so that we can fight the whites. That sounded bad. And and of course, we will be bringing an instant coffee episode to you after the season premieres. So we look forward to talking to you more then. Until next week, when our watch begins, this round's on me. This round is on me. Try again.